Welcome back to the show. I'm super excited that you're back. Don't forget to subscribe and share so your friends can hear the show too. I have something fun for you guys this week. I'm going to talk about potential trade targets that the Braves should go after, as well as trade candidates they should shy away from. In the People's Pitch segment, we will talk about what I think the batting order should actually be based on some cool metrics that some of you may or may not have heard before. Alright, let's get started. First, I need to caveat this by saying that this season is going to be strange to predict because we don't know when it will start, if there will be a trade deadline, and not to mention be given enough time to determine who will be true buyers and who will be true sellers. With that being said, there are some things to factor in if trades are going to be plausible this year. Some things to consider every year. It is not always the case, but in today's game, trades normally happen between a contender which means they have a shot at the playoffs, and a non-contender, a team that chooses to do at least a minor rebuild, if not a full breakdown. This is not always the case, but is a, it is a large majority of the time. This is typically prospects for a proven player with a solid contract. Another scenario you may see, which in my opinion is the second most likely option in trades, is bad salary dumps a team will attach a good contract with a bad one. This way, one team is out from a contract they don't want, while the other team pays that contract to get a good player in return. A good example of this is when the Braves traded Kimbrell and BJ Upton to the Padres. That was strictly a salary dump. I hated to see Kimbrell go, but the Braves needed to do that to get that awful contract off the books. They don't have the salary flexibility of teams like the Red Sox or the Dodgers, so they really needed to do that. There are always other scenarios, like salary movements that work for both teams, like the Matt Kemp from the Braves to the Dodgers deal a few years ago. One team needed to get under the luxury tax, the Dodgers, while the other didn't want the two-year contract and swapped it for a bunch of one-year contracts, knowing that they were going to be in a competitive window soon. That swap was genius by both the Dodgers and the Braves. Good job, AA. Keep up the good work. Of course, you have straight swap sometimes for change of scenery. Like, for example, when the Braves traded Jeff Francoeur to the Mets for Ryan Church. As well as some anomalies, but the first two I mentioned are the most likely in today's game. Now, let's assess the Braves' situation. They are obviously a contender, meaning that they are buyers. They also have pretty solid contracts across the board, so no salary dumps are needed either. Although the Braves have the highest payroll they have ever had, shocker alert, they are nowhere near the luxury tax threshold like the big market teams. And by big market teams, there's quite a few, but I'm thinking of Boston, the LA teams, New York teams. You get the idea. You could argue that Mark Melanson is overpaid, and you would be right. But he only has a year left on his contract, so it's no real need to get rid of the contract. 
even though the Braves have a solid bullpen this year. The Braves also have more near MLB prospects than they do roster spots available, which is an amazing problem to have, but that means they need to trade some of them before their star fades. We have seen examples of the Braves waiting too long already. They traded five years of control of Colby Allard, who is a starter, for half a year of Chris Martin, who is a reliever last year. Although Martin was a solid pickup, just one year prior to that, they could have a much better return on Colby Allard because his star had not faded as much. We have also seen players such as Bryce Wilson, Tukey, and arguably, arguably Kyle Wright's stock drop tremendously because the Braves waited too long to trade them. All that is to say, if the Braves find a deal they like to move some prospects, now is the time to do it. So, since they are contenders and they have an overabundance of prospects, they are in prime position to make a trade for an upgrade. So where could they conceivably upgrade? Well, last year their bullpen was a hot mess in the first half of the year, but now their closer that was in the first half of the year last year is now their 6th or 7th best arm in their pen. Just for what it's worth, I'm talking about Luke Jackson. I don't want to get off too much of a rant, but he got way too much hate when he was thrust into a closer's role when he was not mentally prepared for it. If you look at his actual numbers and not just the blown saves, which was the result of him being the closer when he sh never should have been in the first place, you'll see that his actual numbers are pretty good. He is an above average middle relief arm. We are in a really good spot if he the 6th or 7th best guy on the bullpen. So, bullpen is out. It can always improve like anything else, but it should not be the focus. So, let's look at offense. The Braves have a crowded outfield. Again, a good problem to have. Their two bench guys would start on many teams in the league. So, let's move to infield. They are obviously set at first base and second base. A lot of teams would be happy to have those two players if not ecstatic. They could potentially upgrade at shortstop and third base, but more on that later. Although Flowers gets hate, he is a solid backup catcher at only $4 million for the year, and D'Arno is solid when healthy. All things considered, the Braves have top 10 outputs scheduled for the position of catcher. So, could they upgrade? Yes. But since they signed D'Arno to a two-year deal and have Three catchers in the farm system that could potentially break the squad here soon. I only see them trading if they get a killer deal or get half a year rental if Flowers or DRNO gets injured. The bench is one of the best in the league. Charlie Culberson might not even make the opening day roster. Any additions at this point would be a luxury. Sorry to say that Charlie won't make it, but in my opinion, I don't think he will this year. Last, but obviously not least, is starting pitching. The Braves really do have a solid rotation. Many teams would and should be jealous, but they do not have the type of blow-you-away stuff that gets you excited for October. They could definitely use an upgrade. Bad news, though, is that almost every team could use an upgrade in that department. There are a few things to consider here. First, since every contending team is going to want starting pitching, it will drive up the bidding war. Fortunately, the Braves can bid with the best of them. Secondly, since the season is shortened, 
the line being drawn on who is going to be buyers and who is going to be sellers is going to be muddied up quite a bit. It won't be as cut and dry as normal. So let's get into some candidates. I mentioned third base, shortstop, and starting pitchers of areas that could improve by trade. Third base. So I know that earlier on in the year, many people were talking about third base. So let's go ahead and say what some are thinking. I know this may be beating a dead horse, but it needs to be said. If the Rockies put Arenado on the block, the Braves won't and should not trade for him. It is not in the Braves' MO to spend that type of money on one player. The Braves do not have the luxury to gamble like the Red Sox did on big contracts. The Red Sox are going to pay $50 million just this year between David Price, Rusty Castillo, Dustin Pedroia, Pablo Sandoval, and none other than the Manny Ramirez. That was before Chris Sale's Tommy John surgery, so add his contract on top of that. And the Red Sox are paying more for players that are not on their team than the Marlins spend sometimes in an entire year. Braves cannot and will not gamble loads of money on single players. Arenado also has an opt-out clause after 2021, so even if the Braves do trade for him, there is no guarantee he will stay with them. I will say this though, it all depends on the structure of the deal. The more prospects you add, typically the more money the other team will eat. But with that 2021 opt-out, I highly doubt the Braves would give up the type of prospects it would take to eat enough money of the contract for the deal to be worth it. Another guy that came up, and I agree with it, is actually Chris Bryant of the Cubs. If he is truly available, this is the type of the deal the Braves should be looking at. They have the prospect capital to go after a season and a half of a superstar level player. If the Braves really want to win a World Series, this is the type of gamble they need to make. It's a short enough contract that if it goes bad, you don't have to wait a long time for the salary to come off the books. All that being said, offense is not really the Braves' issue. Also, if we get the 2018 Camargo or Riley takes a step forward, third base is not a huge issue anyway. So don't be bummed if the Braves do not go this direction. Have faith in AA or GM. Have faith that he has done his due diligence. Okay, let's look at shortstop. This one is interesting. Dansby Swanson is a former number one pick who has been solid but not spectacular. He has been injured some, so have we actually seen his ceiling? What about his floor? So far, he has been a high floor player, but his ceiling has not been that high. But if the Braves could get a superstar-like player, it would be worth a shot. They may even be able to package him with some prospects to upgrade at the position. The issue here is that most teams that have superstar-type talent at the position are in buying mode, or at a minimum, not trying to rebuild. If you scan across the league to see potential players to go after, Really only four stick out that the Braves should even spend time looking at, and it is not that promising. The four I see are Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, and Simeon from the A's. Here's the deal. Two of those teams would most likely win 90-plus games in a regular length season. So those being the Dodgers and the A's, and the other two are fringe competitors anyways. The Rockies love Story and just gave him an extension so they would have to be blown away. To me, Story is one of the most underrated players in the game, so I would love to see him in a Braves uniform, 
but I don't see it happen. With Simeon, the reason I see it as even a chance is that the A's will have a difficult time being competitive if they give him the contract he is worth. So they may try to move him if the season does not go as planned. Again, they would need to be blown away. Seager makes some sense because the Braves and the Dodgers have a good trading relationship. And the Dodgers have Gavin Lux, who could fill in at shortstop. But on the flip side, what do the Braves have that the Dodgers would want? They don't want prospects. They're in such a win-now mode that prospects is not what they're after. They're in the biggest win-now mode of any team in the league. That leaves Lindor. The Indians are not the force they were for the past few years. It is getting to the point to where they should consider a rebuild. Do they want to make that leap? If they do, they may consider Swanson as a stopgap at shortstop while acquiring higher-tier prospects from the Braves. Would Waters, Swanson, and Kyle Wright get the deal done? Probably not, but it could get the discussion started. If the Indians would take that deal, the Braves should take it. In my opinion, the Braves need to make a splash, but that leads me to the next position. If they really need to make a splash, it's at starting pitching. This one is even more tough than shortstop. If a team wants to win, they need three top-tier starters. And by win, I mean in the postseason. Look at the Nats last year. They did not even win their division, but because they had one of the best trios of starting pitchers in the league, it carried them in the playoffs. With that being said, starting pitchers are at a premium. The bidding will be high, and there is no way a competing team is going to give up a pitcher that is good enough to be worth what the Braves should be looking for. Due to this, there are limited options. Before the Reds made a splash this offseason, I would have suggested the Braves go all out for Luis Castillo. But there is no way the Reds are moving their ace now. Scanning the teams that have candidates that they would potentially move, that leaves three guys. I see three guys the Braves should go after. First, they should ping the Orioles about John Means. He was a five-war pitcher last year. His 360 ERA does not scream elite, but he played on a team with a bad defense behind him. His peripherals show he will be much better in a Braves uniform, plus he is controllable for the foreseeable future. Next, we have Clevenger and Bieber of the Indians. Either one of these guys would be a win for the Braves if they could pry them away. Like with Lindor, the Indians may be willing to break it down and rebuild, especially with the Twins emerging the way they have. Clevenger would cost significantly less. He would be a rental. He does have a killer contract, money-wise, but it is still only for 2020. The Braves would not need to break the bank for him in, a, in comparison to Bieber. Bieber would be a huge win, but would cost him something crazy, like maybe Christian Pache, plus, 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 like top-tier package. It would take a huge package to get Bieber from the Indians. They would need to start with their best prospect as just a starting point and go from there. So really, the Braves would need to weigh if they want to give up a King's Ransom or not. I, for one, think they should. Like I said earlier, they need to do something with their prospects. We have looked at these potential trades, but we need to keep some things in mind. The other team has to say yes too. It's not a, hey, here's our package of players for years, and then the other team says, sweet, let's do this thing. No, if a team like the Indians have an asset like Bieber, they basically get to name their price. 
We have to remember that as Braves fans, we may think more highly of our prospects than other teams do. Their scouts may see something that the Raiders on these prospect ranking systems have not pointed out. There are a lot of factors that play into trades. Just because we think of a package of Pache, Kyle Wright, or whoever else we want is great does not mean that it is how other teams view that package. With all that being said, I think the Braves, out of all potential trade candidates, offense, pitching, whatever, I think the main person they should go after is John Means. I believe he will be cheaper. And he is controllable for the foreseeable future. He hasn't got the attention that some of the pitchers from the Indians have. He wouldn't take as much to pry him away. I just think that he is a key trade candidate the Braves should go after because the Orioles obviously are not going to compete. They need to rebuild. They need to restock their farm system. It's one of the worst in the league. They need to start now. They've got horrible contracts, so maybe you could connect a bad contract with the pitcher. There's something that the Braves could work with the Orioles. I really think this is a trade they should go after. Will it happen? It's hard to say with this shortened season. We don't know of a lot of teams and how they're going to handle situations, but we do know for a fact that the Orioles are not a contender this year. The Braves, if they have not already, should ping them about John Means. I feel like this is a move that could really help the Braves go over the hump in October. Stop by Twitter and drop off what you think the Braves should go after. Or send me an email and we'll talk about it. I would love to hear your thoughts on who you think the Braves should go after. Um, with that being said, let's go ahead and take our first break. Before we move on, I wanted to talk to you guys about something that I'm really excited about. It's the Laugh or Die Comedy Fest at www.laughordiecomedyfest.com. It's a film festival event that was forced to move onto online platform this year due to the public health crisis. Normally, the full price that includes everything including all the films all the screenplays and the screenplay contests and everything normally cost $15 for the entire thing but today if you use the code Braves Dugout on the website you will get a $5 discount so go to www.laughordiecomedyfest.com you will not be disappointed type in the code Braves Dugout when you get the opportunity to put in a discount code and you will drop the price from $15 to $10 and that includes everything. I really encourage you guys to check it out and let me know how you guys like it too because I'm really excited to hear your feedback. The festival starts on April 17th which means it's already going on but it goes until May 1st so you have time to enjoy this but the sooner you get in, the sooner you get to enjoy all the content. So put the code in, get your discount, and go check out the festival. Welcome back from the break. I hope you enjoyed it. What I want to do now is I want to do a fan question of the week. This week we're going to go with a question from Richard. His question was, this time next year, will Shea Langoliers be the starting catcher for the Atlanta Braves? Here's the thing. Dude was killing it in spring training. He had a rocket for an arm. I have no doubt that he will be a starter for the Braves at some point in his career, hopefully soon. But with the Braves signing Travis D'Arnaud to a two-year contract and 
with spring training and minor league seasons being shortened by COVID-19, I just don't think that he will break camp as the starter next year because they won't have enough time to gauge his talent. That being said, the talent is there, so if it would have been a full season this year, I would have said there's definitely a shot. But with certain situations, I just don't see him breaking camp next year as the starter. I will say that he may come on to the roster, you know, and the rosters expand at the end of the year if that ends up being a thing this year. So he might make the team or play for the the pro team at some point, or I say pro, they're all pro, the major league level. Uh, next year, I would say he probably won't break it as a starter, but he will make it eventually that year. Maybe they want to manipulate his um, his service time, so it may be like a Ronald Acuna type situation, but my prediction is that he will not break camp next year as the starter. I feel like he'd probably be a step up from the Tyler Flowers and Travis D'Arno tandem. I think it would push Travis D'Arno to a backup role, um, which would be kind of pricey for a backup, but still with the talent that Shea Langoliers has, you could kind of look at it as we're paying this much for the catcher position, and being a first-year player, Shea's not going to make a ton of money. So it could happen. I just don't foresee it happening. Thanks, Richard, for submitting the question. If anybody else has any more questions in the future, I'd love to scan through them and pick some for the show, and I'd love to give you a shout-out. Now, it's time for the People's Pitch segment. I'm trying out a new chime this week. I like to try some things new. And as always, if you guys want improvements or changes to the show, just let me know in uh, bravesdugout at gmail.com, and I'd love to make changes for the show to fit things that you guys like. With that being said, let's move on to the segment. Last week, we talked about the lineup and how it would most likely look like at the start of the season. This week, we're going to talk about what the lineup should be. Tom Tango, Mitchell Littman, and Andrew Dolphin wrote a book called The Book, Playing Percentages in Baseball. Percentages, wow. Maybe I shouldn't chew gum while I'm po podcasting, huh? But anyways, they're not paying me to promote this book in any way, but definitely check it out. The book breaks down how to optimize your lineup based on things like on-base percentage and slugging percentage. Based on the info in this book, the way the lineup spots should be prioritized should be 1, 4, 2, 5, 3, 6, 7, 8, 9. And by this, I mean prioritize your best batters in this order. So you want your best batter batting first, your second best batter batting fourth, your third best batter batting second, in that order, okay? And some, some uh, studies actually say you should have your pitcher bat eighth. So, but anyways, the key here is up until recently, the best hitter would be in the three hole. If you look at this ranking, your one, four, two, and five are all more important than three. The reason here is because based on percentages, the three hole is much more likely to come up to the plate with two out and zero on. The four and five hole can do a lot more damage without sacrificing too many plate appearances. Speaking of plate appearances, this is something to consider too. On average, the two-hole see 14 to 15 more plate appearances a year than the three-hole. 
The one hole sees 28 to 29 more plate appearances. Wouldn't you want your best hitter seeing more plate appearances? Think about it. Wouldn't you want Freddie Freeman seeing pitches 14 to 15 times more a year? Imagine how much more damage she would cause. Remember, this is all about run optimization. So they've run statistics across the league looking at placing different batters based on on-base percentage and slugging percentage and other statistics. And they've figured out how to optimize how many runs you would make per game based on your best batters batting in certain places in the order. So definitely check out that book if you have the time, which unfortunately right now, we kind of have a lot of time on our hands. Remember, the book is called The Book, Playing Percentages in Baseball. Again, they're not pro I'm not promoting it in any way. They're not paying me, but I just wanted to give you guys something good to read while you're having this break. I think it will be great for you to learn uh, the math behind baseball. That's the way the sport is going, whether you like it or not. I know the old school way seems appealing. A fast guy batting first so he can run the base as well, or steal second and be in scoring position for small ball purposes. Then the two holes should be the guy that gets on base well, followed by your best hitter. Then the four hole knocks them all in. The thing is though, that strategy is not optimal in today's 3-2 outcomes approach. Unfortunately, the game we love has essentially turned into walk, strike out, or hit a homer. It's not as exciting in my opinion, but the truth is that it produces more runs against the elite level pitching these days. I love small ball. I'm sure a lot of you do. It's really fun to watch. And unfortunately, the game has gotten away from that. But the reason being is the pitching has got at such an elite level that we need to optimize runs the best way that we can. And by doing the three outcome approach, statistically, it has proven that it scores more runs. BaseballMusings.com has this really cool tool that will optimize your lineup based on on-base percentage and slugging percentage. Again, two stats are not everything, but you can truly see a batter's value by adding those things together to make your OPS. On-base percentage is much more valuable than batting average, and then you add on top of that how many bases they're getting their slugging percentage and it gives you a really good idea of what type of level your batter is going to be at. They also, the one thing to look at is that we look at the number one guy and we think speed but on base percentage is much more important than speed. Just look at Billy Hamilton a few years ago. Dude was a freaking speed demon but he couldn't get on base. So what's the point? On base percentage is far superior to speed. I took the lineup I believe the Braves will most likely deploy and I ran it through the tool. I used everyone's stats from 2019 except Camargo and Ender because I used their 2018 stats and that's because they didn't play full seasons as starters last year and you know Ender was hurt for a large majority and then he you know would play only versus certain pitchers you know, the opposite-handed pitchers were at, and have Acuna in center. And then Camargo obviously was supposed to be that super utility role that just didn't work for him. So I went back to 2018 to get a more accurate listing of their stats. Interestingly, the optimal lineup generating 4.953 runs per game 
is Freddie Freeman batting in the leadoff spot, followed by Ronald Acuna, then Swanson in the three-hole, followed by Albies, then Camargo. Weird, batting him fifth ahead of Azuna, batting sixth, then D'Arno, batting seventh, and then you have the pitcher in the eighth spot and Ender in the ninth spot. Again, that's not because Ender's that bad. It's that when you use someone in the nine hole that is better at batting than the pitcher, then it helps turn over the lineup better to better optimize your best batter batting first or second. Straight madness, am I right? For reference, the projected lineup that we talked about last week will score 4.7. 07 runs per game in a full 162 game season that's a difference of 102.386 runs versus 762.534 runs that is quite a difference that's approximately 40 runs over an entire season interestingly too is it has the pitcher batting eighth like i talked about earlier but even though the pitcher will have slightly more plate appearances, it gives more run optimization for the first and two-hole hitters. I also need to caveat this by saying that in 2019, the Braves scored 155 runs. So, based on this tool, the Braves outperformed their projections last year. Is that going to happen again this year? I don't know. But the thing to look at is based on the the optimization of these positions, it's a 40-run difference. And if you look at the difference between Braves and you take 40 runs off, that drops you last year from the 7th best offense in the majors to the 12th best offense in the majors, which is quite a difference if you ask me. With all that being said, I know there's a lot of things to consider. There are things like the mental aspect of the game like where a player is comfortable. Acuna has obviously proven he does better at the one hole than four. Freeman prefers the three hole. He has stated that. But imagine the damage Freddie could do with 15 more plate appearances just by shifting him up one in the order. The difference between Freeman and Acuna too is that Acuna actually has a track record of showing improvement when moving positions. We don't know how it would affect Freeman. We haven't really tried it. We do know that the Angels have tried moving Trout up. We know that the Cubs have tried moving Chris Bryan up. And it all has shown positive signs when they take their best hitter and move him from the three hole to the two hole to give him more plate appearances. And to take away the percentage of them going up to bat with two outs and no one on base. The percentages show that moving the best batter from three to two results in more runs scored. So, considering things like Acuna's track record, uh, the mental aspect of the game that statistics don't really show, this is what I believe the lineup should be. Acuna has proven that he's good in the one hole. It's just a fact. So, I would put Acuna then Freeman, then Swanson, Albies, Azuna. Okay, and the reason I would put Azuna above Camargo, even though the tool says to put Camargo in front of Azuna, is because 
Last year, Azuna was one of the most unluckiest players in the entire league based on his exit velocity and his uh, barreled balls and launch angle and stuff like that. His uh, batting average of balls in play, um, all that stuff, it just proved, it just points towards him being extremely unlucky. He's he's in store for a much better season this year statistically. Uh, if odds actually go in, you know, more even, if if things hap- actually translate to his true skill, not versus bad luck, I believe he will be a lot better than last year's numbers actually show. So again, we have Acuna, then Freeman, then Swanson, then Albies, then Azuna, then Camargo, and then I'd put D'Arno behind Camargo, and then the pitcher, and then Ender Enciarte. Obviously, you know, it'd change depending on the pitcher, if it's left-handed or right-handed, uh, but this is the most key, most average, I guess, average game that I would want to see. Do I think it'll ever happen? Absolutely not. Snicker is too old school, although I do want to say I may be in a minority of people who like him. Uh, I like the charisma that he brings to the team. I believe he helped the team compete half a year earlier than they believed they would in a sense that when he came in as the interim coach, they went from like the worst offense in the league to one of the best in the league. I do want to reiterate again about how some of the teams are moving their best hitters to the two spot. I already mentioned Mike Trout, which obviously is the best player in the league, and then the Cubs with Chris Bryant. But also, interestingly, the Mets moved Pete Alonso up to the two-hole. Uh, dude hit 53 bombs, I believe, last year. Not your prototypical number two hitter. That's typically the guy you put at three or four. Um, the Mets moved him to two, and they saw results. So that is the lineup that I believe the Braves should have. But I do not believe it's going to be anything like that once the f- season finally does start due to Snicker being more of an old school manager. All right, everybody. That's the show. Let me know what you think the lineup should be based on what you may have heard about for the first time today. I would love to hear it. I'd love for you to put kind of different scenarios in mind and come up with what you think the lineup should be. I'd love for you to post it on Twitter at Braves Dugout Pod or email it at bravesdugout at gmail.com. And as always, I'd love to have questions from you that you'd like to hear answered on the show, and I'd love topics that you want to hear about. Also, we now have a website at bravesdugoutpod.wixsite.com slash bravesdugoutpod. That is bravesdugoutpod.wixsite.com slash bravesdugoutpod. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share, share, share. You guys rock. I can't wait to see you next Thursday. Go Braves, chop on, and fingers crossed that everyone gets healthy as COVID-19 pandemic ends and we can get back to some baseball. See you guys later.